Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. This is Liza Berger, editor of McKnight's Home Care. The proposed rule for home health is due out this summer. Will there be temporary rate adjustments like last year? William Domby of the National Association for Home Care and Hospice and Joanne Cunningham, CEO of the Partnership for Quality Home Health Care, are hoping not. Out of the rule, you know, and it's already over at OMB for clearance at this point. And for it to go over with that speed, it probably means CMS made its decisions quite a while ago. On the best side of it, we're hoping CMS does not put any cut for 2024 into it, you know, that is based upon the current financial circumstances of health agencies that had high inflation and labor costs uh, over the last two years uh, and continue to have, you know, an outlook of, of something similar going forward. On a worst-case scenario, you don't want to hear the worst-case scenario, uh, but I, I do not think CMS is going to throw everything into the proposed rule, you know, the entire remaining 3.925% plus the, the the backlog of temporary adjustments that could be as much as $3 billion. Uh, so I, I anticipate that we will see you know, the, the permanent adjustment unless CMS listens to us. Mm-hmm. Joanne, what are your initial thoughts? Well, I agree with Bill. Um, you know, I think that it would be uh, wise to see CMS um, apply some significant breaks to any plans to apply the remainder of the permanent adjustment. And honestly, it's unthinkable to see the temporary cuts um, become implemented. I will say, you know, the industry has worked very, very hard to make it clear to CMS that these reductions are having an impact and um, are causing um, system-wide delays and, you know, implications for transitioning patients out of uh, hospitals and into the home. So I hope that CMS has, has looked at kind of what we've been seeing so far, even since the half of the permanent adjustment was applied uh, starting in January. And, you know, understands that caution is needed here and and there needs to be a real taking stock of how the system is doing. And we're still experiencing lots of residual effects from the COVID intense years. And you know, costs are still increasing, inflation's still a problem. And so I hope that CMS is approaching this in a very cautionary way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's notable that the rules that are out already for the other sectors, inpatient hospital, you know, skilled nursing facilities, and hospice and more, you know, there seem to be coming from CMS uh, a message of we're, we're not going to give you what you want in the proposed rule, uh, leaving room for advocacy, negotiation, or whatever towards the final rule. You know, the, the hospitals clearly didn't get what they were looking for. And in fact, you know, they're looking at the upcoming outpatient rule as being the opposite of what they'd like to see. So this this may be, and we hope it is, nothing more yeah, it, that we've seen so far a posturing uh, by a positioning for the final rule coming out of CMS. It's, it's hard not to ask why they kind of continue or insist on putting uh, providers in, in such an uncomfortable position every year, but that might be a whole other discussion. You recently um, asked CMS to take something into consideration. You sent a letter 
asking them to include a forecasting error correction in the upcoming proposed rule based on errors you believe they made in two recent years ago. Tell us more about this and has CMS even acknowledged a forecasting error? Joanne, let's start with you. Sure. We asked for this correction because this is what the data has shown. So, um, you know, when the market basket adjustment is made, it's based on a projection. It's not based on actual data. When we went back and took a look at how well the market basket truly accounted for those, you know, market increases and so forth. In 21 and 22, uh, the market basket was out, off by a lot. And so a 5.1% uh, um, miss over two years, that's really significant. And, um, and so we asked for a one-time uh, correction of this. And I know other sectors have pointed out a similar uh, dynamic. Um, and so I think, I, I don't think we're alone in pointing out that in 21 and 22 in particular, there was a big, a big miss and it should be corrected. And I'll tell you, providers understand that. They, they know exactly what the market uh, is doing. They know what their costs are, how much their costs are going up, how much labor and wage costs, benefit costs are increasing, how it doesn't line up with the market basket adjustment, which is meant to account for, you know, market conditions like that. And um, so this, this is a policy ask that only makes sense. How unusual is it for them to grant a request like this, Bill? Uh, highly unusual. What they did do for the skilled nursing facilities back in 2003 uh, was to recognize uh, that forecasting errors do occur and they put in place a permanent system for reconciliation. They have not done that for other provider sectors. Uh, and, you know, I think we, we, we have a view somewhat of where they may go based upon what they did for the hospitals that made similar requests for a, adjustments along the way. We believe the power's there. And you, you asked whether or not have they acknowledged the error. You know, this, this wasn't a mistake. This was a forecasting mistake, which is like the weatherman saying, you know, you got a 60% chance of rain and you have a deluge versus partial sun, sun, sunshine forecasting-wise. So they've acknowledged it with what they did with the nursing facilities. They saw that the numbers in the forecast didn't match up with the reality that followed the forecast. Uh, but we think the power is there. We've had a legal analysis done to support the position that's there. And we think on a going forward basis, too, uh, we have allies in the other sectors who've been shortchanged as well. Mm -hmm. The 3.925% cut, uh, like you said, mentions met, represents half of that permanent behavioral adjustment for, to PDGM went into effect in January. Joanne, you talked about already that there is impact on providers. Can we dig into that a little bit? What sure. exactly are you seeing? What concrete effect has this cut had? Sure. Well, what we've seen from some of the EMR uh, companies that have real-time data is um, what we're seeing in conversion rates, um, some significant effects. And so what this means is that uh, for hospitals who are looking to move patients from hospital into the home, the conversion rate is the rate at which a home health agency would accept that case, uh, has the staffing to um, 
to provide care for that patient. And what we're seeing are the denial rates of essentially home health saying, I can't take that patient. Those are increasing. So that um, never spells uh, good news. We don't like to see any kind of system change that would then kind of lock up the system in other areas that has impacts all across the healthcare system and all across the Medicare program and uh, impacts patients who can't transition safely to the next level of care in this instance, home health care. What, what precisely is causing a home health company to say, I can't take you, is that I don't have the staff or what's prompting that? Um, well, I think, you know, home health providers are largely labor. So when you see any kind of constriction, you see um, payment cuts, any kind of reductions, they have a direct impact on an organization's ability to continue to provide care at that level. Uh, what we've heard right off the bat when we were uh, advocating last year, even on um, on the prospect of a permanent adjustment of almost 8% and then these temporary adjustments is, you know, these are businesses. And so, you know, you had home health leaders saying, listen, you know, I, I have to make decisions about um, how to continue to provide care to as many people as I can. And uh, that means patients that are in hard to reach areas or are more complicated. Um, you start making sort of economic decisions based on what you can provide, what you can deliver um, in your organization. And so we're already seeing and we've seen, we've heard that loud and clear from uh, home health leaders across the country is they're already um, feeling that pain and, and operationalizing that and making decisions about uh, whether to rehire people through attrition who have left or um, to hire new staff to meet demand. And so this is already showing some impact. These are tied together here. The reimbursement and the workforce charge, they're tied together. And if there are no nurses to be providing nursing services, you know, you can't blame the payment rates. But in this case, I'll give you an illustration. One company was trying to recruit uh, a, a large number of nurses. Uh, they made job offers to 130 nurses, all of whom turned the job down because it didn't pay enough. Uh, so, so the nurses were available with the right level of compensation. The payment rates didn't give them the opportunity to offer a competitive compensation to, to what they might otherwise get in a hospital setting or otherwise. So you, you can't precisely say it's all about and precisely say about short. Clearly, there's that interconnection between the two. And a recent survey I saw just this week was that 86% uh, of nurses dissatisfaction with their job because of the level of compensation. So if you don't get the Medicare payment rate, you're not going to be able to compete for that limited staff that's there. So my, my view being the rates are the driver in, in, the, in the conversion rates going down equal to or more so than the shortage in, an, in the general abstract sense of the shortage. Bill, you've talked consistently about this need for large-scale long-term care payment change. You've said that you really can't say that nurse uh, that home care home health agencies are doing so well with Medicare as Medicare is supplementing other payment sources, namely Medicaid and Medicare Advantage. 
what's it really going to take for, for something like that to happen? And is there any movement on, on this front that you're seeing from the regulators? I mean, t- too often what we've seen as the instigating force in something real happening is the sky falling, you know, where hospitals are saying we can't find a place to send our patients, the patients saying the same thing. We're starting to see that already, you know, and we're starting to see home health agencies reject care for Medicare Advantage patients because they're paying less than cost. Those are signs and symptoms that that sky is starting to fall where the plans can't get care and the patient stays in the hospital longer. The hospitals can't get patients uh, home care and the patient's staying in the hospital longer and they start pushing harder and harder for solutions. Uh, and the plans, one of the first solutions the plans can have is they raise their payment rates. You know, uh, they're, they're going to they're gonna have to look at the fact that, uh, you know, the home health brings a value beyond just providing home care. It saves them money for that extended stay in the hospital or the rehospitalization along the way. So it's unfortunate, but you, you really don't see the kind of change we need until we're moments away from disaster. Do you feel that way too, Joanne? Yeah, I do. I, I think that... Um... You know, if you're a home health um, leader right now, you're trying to manage a lot of moving parts and a lot of complexity. And, um, you know, one of the things I think is um, interesting about COVID is I think COVID amplified a lot of problems um, that we already knew about in the healthcare system, including in, in home health. And I think one of them has been the fragile nature of the healthcare workforce. And we've been talking about workforce for decades uh, and the need that, you know, this is a system that needs investment. We need a lot of things to happen, you know, on the pipeline issue and retention and, you know, flexibility and regulatory. There's, you know, on. And I I do think that um, right now, I mean, example about the 100 nurses, you know, you can't talk to a home health provider right now who's going to tell you anything other than a story similar to that. And the fact that, you know, they just can't keep up. One of the things in our um, recent discussions with CMS that that seemed to capture some interest was, um, you know, what exactly is going on with respect to the costs of paying for nursing in home health compared to other sectors. And there's a differential there that's, you know, 10, 11, 12 percent, whatever it is, worsening. And um, and I think some problems we are getting to a point where it is it is certainly a crisis and we are going to start to see some system effects that are not good for patients, are not good for the Medicare program, are not good for the trust fund. Mm-hmm. Let's pivot um, with the remaining time um, and talk a little bit about something, another regulation that's come down, tran- transparency. The Department of Health and Human Services announced it's releasing transparency data on Medicare certified home health and hospice agencies. Is this good? Uh, it'd be good if it was comprehensive and, and accurate. Uh, it, it is neither of the two so far, but you know, it, it still only has limited value. Uh, you know, we need to be able to connect it to, to other kinds of things. You know, it may have more valuable uh, val- value to others. It doesn't have a lot of value to us ultimately in the end, 
Uh, we've even looked at it, not just from our advocacy perspective, we've looked at it from our own marketing perspective, you know, for, 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 for marketing conferences and membership, and it doesn't have any data in it that we don't already know other than who the owners are. CMS really is the one who needs to be doing the police work on these issues like we see in, in California where, you know, you have a whole bunch of home health agencies and hospices located at the same address, you know, with the same owners and the same administrators and everything else. You know, I mean, it, it, we're doing the police work now, but that should be done by CMS rather than us. So uh, we're hoping it's not the limit of what CMS intends to do from a program integrity perspective. Mm -hmm. Joanne, what, did, what was your reaction to that? No, nothing to add. I think Bill covered that. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, another big piece of news, the mandate is seems to be done. It's over. Uh, the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for um, Medicare certified home health and hospice agencies. Is this kind of another kind of nothing, nothing burger, if you will? <laughs> We're still waiting for the formal announcement. Uh, that, that it's going to happen, you know, expecting it around May 11th in that way. But, you know, what we want people to understand is infection control is still a responsibility of the home health agencies and other healthcare providers. Vaccinations may be an element in doing that. We didn't see any significant impact by the mandate, meaning you know, the, the threats of people resigning en masse did not surface in the end. Uh, partly because they had exceptions that people took advantage of. Uh, so, you know, will, will, will the getting rid of the mandate do anything that's highly notable? Probably not. Mm -hmm. Well, it's always a pleasure to talk to you too. And uh, we're looking forward with expectation to this proposed rule. Thank you so much for joining me today. Bill Dombey of NAC and Joanne Cunningham of the Partnership for Quality Home Healthcare. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.